You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 364. You're listening to The Lively Show. This podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's show. Today is going to be a Q&A episode, and it's going to, based on popular demand, I did a little poll on Instagram asking if you guys liked the Bella Ella Q&A call that we did recently where Ella, our team manager, asked me questions, then my inner voice, as I'm nicknaming her or myself as the inner voice, Bella, which is my inner voice's name for me, answered those questions. You guys had said you liked a mix of just the mind or just lively as you've known me to be and my inner voice answering questions. So I have a whole new host of questions to be answered here on the show from a bunch of different people on Instagram. So I'm going to run through these. And if they're super deep, and insightful. I'll probably use a bit of Bella or my inner voice to answer. And then when they're more topical and like the human level or like, what is your favorite design thing or something like that with my humanness would be the right answer to come out of my mouth, then I'll do that. So it's going to be a little bit of a mix. Let's see how we go. I haven't read the questions yet. So this is all going to be coming out straight from these questions. I'm not sure how many were asked kind of towards the Bella end of the spectrum or inner voice and how many were asked to me about the mind. So we're going to find out together. And also, I just want to say right at the start of the call, hopefully the microphone, it's been giving me a little bit of in and outs, but I think it's actually working. I've got, I think, uh, a good situation and solution. So if my microphone audio changes on you, that would be why, but hopefully it'll stay going strong throughout the whole recording. Okay, let's get started. We have Madison Arnold who said, if you do record, here are some questions I have to answer any of these. Number one, what other books resonated with you on the level of power of now, surrender, experiment, and awareness? I want more in this realm. Okay, so what I'm going to say on and something that is kind of like a book or is a book, there are two things that come to mind that are about like that level of power of now. Okay, so they're not necessarily considered technically books, I don't think, or maybe one is. But basically, what I would say to do, Madison, and anyone else who's interested in this question, is go over to Audible. And if you have an Audible account, great. We've used them as a sponsor over the years. And Audible is a great resource if you haven't already tried it. Of Audible, you know, books and and out loud resources, there is one called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. Anthony DeMello. So checking out Awareness by Anthony DeMello. It's a series of his speeches put together in a audio format. So it's not technically a book but it's kind of delivered as though it was one. I love it. So good. Amazing, enlightened man from the 1970s who's from India and is a Catholic priest. Super, 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 super good. Super deep. I actually found his recordings through a friend's father back in college, and I listened to that book or whatever you would call it, book on tape or audio series over and over and over again when I was younger and then rediscovered it based on a guy I was dating years ago back in Australia who said, hey, Jess, like this kind of reminds me of what you used to talk about. And then I listened to the clip and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the audio series that I had downloaded on my computer. And I was like 10 years ago. So I was super thrilled to be able to re-listen to it. It's really good. Definitely recommend. The other one is Ramana Maharshi. 
Ramana Maharshi is an amazing enlightened man, also Indian as well, also older in the eras. I forget when he was exactly alive, but he is incredible and has an audio that I found about him. I just like searched his name on YouTube and somewhere, and I don't even know the links, but I would just say searching Ramana Maharshi and find a four or five part recording series. It's like a book on tape kind of thing of some narrator speaking his either book or speaking, I don't know, speeches or something like that. But that was also super, super incredible content for me at the time when I was in Hawaii going through my own realization experience. So definitely recommend those two. Number two, I have been having frustrating dreams and waking up very grumpy and irritable. It's like I wake up to a crap load of beanbags and it takes a good bit of releasing to come back to center. Did you ever experience anything like this or do you have any insights? Yes, so this is definitely a very common thing if you're in the heavy stages of cocoon to have your kind of like washing machine running at night (laughs) or the dishwasher running at night. I don't know about you, but my mom used to run the dishwasher overnight and I remember that noise, that soothing little churning of the machine as it was happening in the evening times, the lights were out and that churning would be happening as you're walking in the kitchen and the lights are all dark and you'd hear the dishwasher. So this is kind of the same for your sleeping experiences. Towards the later stages of realization, a lot of dreams can get quite active and you remember them the next day. So I just say keep beanbagging. Don't worry about it. Don't make more of a story about it, but definitely it is not unusual. So just know that it's a common symptom of cocoon period, not to be worried about. And number three, is it normal for the mind to have a fit, quote unquote, as you go deeper into presence, peace, and non-attachment? It's just us more beanbags to release. My mind seems to be resisting the peace and presence I've been feeling more deeply the past few months. Absolutely. It is kind of seeing the demise of its own way, uh, its reign of being. So as you're in the deeper stages of realization, your mind gets to start to take the back seat and doesn't have the majority vote. So that's kind of like thinking about in America or other governments that have different representatives and they might have a few different parties represented and there's always like a majority party. There are so many aspects to our psychology or our personality as the mind knows itself to be. But as you're integrating, releasing, and liberating and tuning into more of your awareness and then those old emotional beanbags and aspects of your, you know, mental psychology get transmuted or become more integrated into a facet of you, but not a controlling element of you, not a very loud speaker in the House of Congress inside of your mind, um, it can become quite scary to the mind because those aspects may actually reach out harder because there's less of them to maintain that majority vote. So yes, that is also very common. So yeah, all very typical things not to be worried about, but great questions. Okay, now we have Kelly Keating who said, hi Jess, is there a date you have for closing enrollment to unlimited aligned abundance. The question, actually, there's no unlimited aligned abundance closure. We've actually realized over the years of doing the coaching for, what, 10, 15 years of online classes, however long it's been, where I used to have closures. And then I realized, as my inner voice had told me many years ago, let them be where they want to be. If they want to come into the class halfway through the class, let them come into the class. Obviously, the longer the class progresses, less people tend to join. But if you just find out about it now and you want to catch up and you want to be in the last remaining call, 
calls coming up, by all means, go for it. This is the second week of class, so it's still not too late by any means. It's the second of four weeks, so you would get the pre-recorded other recordings from last week. There's just one coaching call that's been missed. And to this week, we are, I'm so excited. We have two really fun ones. We have RTT group regression, hypnotherapy with Rachel, my hypnotherapist friend who I've invited in to coach. And then also Lauren Ciesco, an IVFT grad, is doing the beanbags and money block releasing. So that's happening this week. So you're still welcome to join because you're just going to join for those live calls if you can make them live or um, as many of the calls you can make live and then also the recording from last week. So you're still welcome to join us. Okay, now we have Georgie, the naturopath who said, what about first answering from the mind's perspective and then inner voice just to see the difference at all? Curious about that. Well, that's actually, I think her speaking to the idea of Bella versus Jess answering the question. So I think that's a great suggestion and I'll keep that in mind for any questions that might be for both. All right, now let's see. Curious about how you see non-duality relating to intuition and the soul. Where does the intuition come from? That's a great question. Pure personal power asked. Okay, so non-duality relating to intuition and the soul. Okay, so non-duality. Now, you could almost kind of call it the trinity. So like pure consciousness would be that non-dual perspective that that precedes duality. So the essence of us before separation is experienced, that aspect of us is experiencing this reality in a non-dualistic way. And that is what a lot of people will refer to in the spiritual world as pure consciousness. Now that pure consciousness is before separation and also therefore before intuition or before the soul. So the soul is essentially made up of, to my understanding of the experience, is made from pure consciousness. And what's amazing is you start to, in later stages of realization, have the living experience, at least moments and flashes, if not longer periods, I definitely don't have a consistent enduring awareness of the pure consciousness experience. It's actually so overwhelming and all pervasive when it's fully experienced that there's no thoughts, there's no contrast, there's no separation. It's just pure awareness and it does poke in, you could say, into this reality, but I'm not personally living from that place at all times, but it has poked in in a full, complete way several times over the years. So I know the experience of pure consciousness, which is great. And I that pure consciousness within myself has seen itself as what it is. So that's an amazing experience for sure, because it answers a lot of questions that the soul even is asking and wondering, what, who am I? What am I? It's not like we're asking that from a human level and asking, say, I'm a soul. The soul is asking that at a higher level of what it is. And that is this experience of duality is to actually understand the non-dual reality of that pure consciousness, understanding that pure consciousness is what we are. So intuition though, the best I've heard it explained is that it's the summation of the wisdom of all experience. So from an eternal place, a non-linear Because when you go into your intuition, you're going into the eternal now. You're going into that soul space. That soul space lives beyond time and lives, therefore, with the wisdom of all the experiences gathered in time already in wisdom. So your intuition, as I would like to see or explain it, would be that part, the inner voice, is sharing from the wisdom of all the experiences of separation. So to, to back up and summarize this again, pure consciousness is from the source of all things, you could say, the source of all, as, as like Abraham says, you know, source energy. I don't believe it's actually like a great way to say it's 
energy, but source, like with a capital S or something like that. A lot of people in the past used to call it God, but then that got very humanistic. So now we don't use the word God, but basically pure consciousness experiences separation through souls and souls experience separation again through human 3D in cases where they come into 3D bodies and have 3D experiences. And the intuition would be the wisdom of all of those separated experiences experienced on the in between the non-physical level. <laughs> so there you go. I can't give you more clarity because I don't think I personally have more to personally share, but that's the best of my knowledge to share about that subject. Do Atlas and I can't steal my love says, do you and Atlas ever get into arguments and how do you handle it? Yes, definitely. We can definitely have uh, arguments. Usually for us, the arguments in the past have stemmed from me being on my period. So there are definitely some PMS inspired arguments that were not even really arguments, just me being upset by my hormones more than anything. And we actually started to label because I could be aware enough to know when those moments were even going to pre occur. You know, have you ever had that feeling where you're like, I can tell I am on edge from PMS. So we made a word called the pink volcano. And pink volcano was just a word that we made up to say, okay, I'm feeling like my emotions could be very triggerable right now and this could become a a situation that you might need to be aware of. So please don't take anything that happens extremely seriously, but I'm seriously feeling whatever I'm feeling. I'm not negating the feelings as they're coming up, but also putting into context that I think there's a pink volcano. So that actually has really, in those times, really solved a lot in terms of him understanding and having compassion for where I'm coming from. And often uh, like that also would be, you know, sometimes space is sometimes nicer than being right up in someone trying to like go into it and into it, into it, into resolution. I found that sometimes like sleeping in the other room was a nice way of like giving myself that break to let my emotions subside, pass, and then with clear you know, perspective, come back together in the morning. So definitely not one of those like don't go to bed angry at night kinds. Obviously, there was like an awareness that we need to deal with this. There's no um, shoving it down so that it was not figure outable. But once it was clear that like this wasn't going to necessarily go away quickly, it was like, okay, let's go sleep this through and let the emotional state change, let the cork rise a bit, and then come back together. Now, let's see, we've got Miriam who says, hi, Jess, I'm wondering about how you knew when it was time to let your former romantic partners go. Sending love. Okay, when it was time to let my former romantic partners go. (laughs) Well, okay, so my husband and I, that definitely was, I would say it was a very mutual decision, but definitely more kind of sparked by me, all truth you know, at least from my perspective of the situation. I don't know if Mr. Levy would say that, but that's how I experienced it. And we were very much on the same page and how we resolved and moved through that transition. But it definitely, that one was more of something that I decided. But I can also say for then all of the romantic partners, not all of them, but for the six years of dating before Atlas, I would say I was not typically the person to end something. Usually it was the other, it was the partners, the male. And that was very interesting and heartbreaking for my mind. But because I always follow my intuition, 
I would often get told, don't do anything by my intuition, which my mind sometimes would hate. Sometimes it was like needy and kind of anxious and hoping to stay together with the person, even though I could see that it wasn't very enjoyable to stay in. I was just so craving that partnership in some way that and I had so much love for so many of these people as I experienced their, you know, the dating stages with them. So it was sometimes heartbreaking to follow my inner voice into doing nothing and then sometimes watching very frequently in the dating period them release me from the relationships. But with the partner, like my husband, that was like I I would say more inspired by me. And that was because my inner voice gave me many opportunities without me even seeking them. Like I was very happily going forward to have kids and a house extension and we bought a house to have kids in, all that stuff. I was very happily moving forward in that direction. And right as we were about to do all those very serious, permanent kind of feeling things like children and the house addition, actually starting to do the you know mortgage to get the addition going, which we of course never did. And then divorce happened before we had the kids. And so everything was very easy to resolve and pull apart very naturally because we did you know part ways when we did that period was very unexpected it was like many things showed up as auspicious signs i would say it was like it was definitely my human choice to get to release the relationship my inner voice didn't tell me just let him go it wasn't like that it was my human jess so bella didn't tell jess <laughs> you want to call it the inner voice didn't tell jess to release him Jess got to choose based on what Bella and my, you know, creating my own reality as I was living my life, like all my minds or Jess's, you could say the human's reasons for not doing it. Like I wouldn't know any friends that were my age and all this stuff. I would meet somebody that was my age and single, or I would meet a woman that, I remember this was like a really, really wild one. I met a woman through a friend. A friend had a hosted a party for the women in the town. And I just moved back to that town that I went to college in for six weeks. It's an interesting story. So she has this group party. And in the group, I am seeing there's a woman there I'm just meeting who's a few years older than me at the time. And she's single. Then there's the friend that hosted the party who was much older, like in her 60s, and she was single. And then there was a woman that had children and just got a divorce like two weeks beforehand. So that was like a situation I didn't know anything about. How do you get divorced? And there I am meeting somebody that had children that just went through it. And then I met another woman there that was married with two kids. And the woman that was married with two kids had a husband that was away that weekend fly fishing. And my husband that day of all days in his entire life got so obsessed before I went to that party with fly fishing that he was on Craigslist driving across Michigan to go get fly fishing equipment, which he never ended up using. To my knowledge, I don't know if he's ever fly fished in Oregon where he lives now or not, but I will say he was buying fly fishing equipment while I was at this party and there was a woman that was ENFJ, just like me as the Myers-Briggs. She was a business owner, she had the kids, she had the partner, and I was like, whoa, this is like looking at myself in the future, 20, years later into marriage. And I just kind of realized this is my own little divorce party without really thinking about it. <laughs> I was like, I think I have like every type of, you know, reference point to the situation that I, you know, I had other situations and other signs and stuff showing me that this could be a potentially good thing to do if I decided to do it. But all of those things about like, I don't know how to get divorced. I don't, I can't imagine being older and and single, or I don't know anyone my age and single. So all of these people were representative of all of these facets. And the woman, the ceiling of the deal of that story of that situation was that the woman that was married with the fly fisher husband 
when I said this, she goes, you know, I wouldn't get divorced now because it's like they have two kids. They're at like later stages of high school. She goes, you know, it's not really worth getting divorced is what she said. This is all her words to me directly at the time. But she goes, you know what? If I were you and I was already feeling the way you're feeling and wondering and questioning this before having children, I would suggest getting divorced. (laughs) So that was an interesting one that kind of was a part of like, how did I know it was time? But even that party didn't actually make a decision in me to end it. There was still time actually at that point, he was going back and forth to Chicago where he was still working. He was working remotely in Michigan for a company in Chicago. So he was taking these this time to go back and forth on the train a fair bit at that point. So it really gave me some time alone and helped me while he was gone to like see what it'd be like to be in the house alone. And I had a lot of long walks with the dogs and just like really felt into what would it be like and and why would I choose that? And ultimately I realized for us in that case, it was that we, and he even when we decided to do this together at that point when I said, I think this is what we should do, we really realized, and he was so sweet when he pulled away and he called me on the, car on the phone like uh, about an hour after we eventually you know when he was literally driving across the country to leave he said let's really do this and I'll tell you what we decided to do he said we realized that we could have the agreed upon house in Michigan and have the kids and it would be a very typical expected life for the lives that we had led I grew up in Michigan and grew up in the Midwest he grew up in the northeast of America so these were like very traditional typical, you know, it's very normal to have kids in a family and do everything we were going to do. But we said, realistically, really, 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 that would be for us to have that life a little bit like crouching in a box holding hands so that we could be together, but we'd have to compromise each in our own ways on things that we actually want. And so we said, instead of crouching in the box holding hands, let's high five and stand tall and really live fully the lives that we actually want to live that the other person most likely wouldn't want to live. Like we would, to live fully our own greatest dream would mean the other person would have to really sacrifice. So for us to both win, it wouldn't really be a win. It would be a compromise. And we just decided let's stand tall and let's high five and let's let's really live what we want instead of the doing the same thing with somebody else later in life and just still compromising in a box. And so I remember him crying and very sweetly calling me and saying, you know, let's really do this. Like, let's not make this decision that's so hard be one where we don't end up really doing what we said we were gonna do. And so we did. On a much lighter, smaller note, I remember there was this one guy in Cape Town I was dating, and I knew this guy was not one of those like soul past life experiences, or at least he wasn't in any great way. But I knew that it needed to end, but my intuition was not going to end it. I was like, nope, nope, nope. And I was waiting and I was like, this is, I'm not like super thrilled or happy in this situation. And But I just waited for the timing. And then there was this moment of knowing the minute we were on a date and he was taking me back to my Airbnb apartment at the time. And we turned the corner to go into the parking garage. And when we turned the corner, I literally felt like, you know, that phrase, you turned the corner, turning the corner. I had that knowingness literally as we turned the corner, I turned the corner. And so when we got into the house, I was able to release him and end it. And uh, that was actually a very interesting one because when I felt that release and relief because they did it in alignment, it was a bit surprising to him, but he wasn't really showing up. I think he still had some kind of like things he was holding back in his own life about. And so actually by 
ending in that moment, in that alignment and everything, he ended up, I think a week or so later, kind of coming back and showing up in a better, deeper way. And we ended up getting back together for, I don't know, a few weeks or a month or something like that. But he came back in a much higher and better way than he was in the first place. So those are some examples of previous partners and how that transitioned. Okay, now we have Kat Jonasy who said, hi Jess, question for the podcast. Any new book recommendations? You know what I'm reading now? (laughs) I'm in London right now, so I've got a lot of alone time. And as I am here, I have been rereading old fiction books that I read when I was in high school. And I then re-picked them up in my mid-20s, I think, for fun before bed. And so they're all still on my Kindle account now. So when I was young, I read them in the library and checked them out as library books. And then I downloaded them as Kindles and they're still in my Kindle account. So I've started to reread the Cat Who series. Now, I love talking about the Cat Who series because it's so random and wonderful for what it is. It's like macaroni and cheese in fiction form. It's comfort food of the comfort food. If you like... Murder, She Wrote with Jessica Fletcher on the old, you know, murder mystery kind of stuff. I love Hercule Poirot. I love Nancy Drew. I loved Murder, She Wrote. And I love the Cat Who series. So the Cat Who series takes place in, I think it's basically Northern Michigan. They always say it's like, she never gives us the detail of what state they're in, but I think it's Northern Michigan or Wisconsin or Minnesota, but really I think it's Northern Michigan, even though she never says the state. And this woman wrote these books. Lillian Jackson Braun is the author. She wrote them, I think, for librarian type older women. (laughs) and high school young girls like me, I guess, that love the same kind of genre. So it's about a man named Jim Quillerin. He has a big mustache and he is a newspaper writer. He inherits a lot of money in the like a few, like three or four books into the series. He ends up inheriting all of this wealth and becomes this very rich man. All of a sudden, he has two cats that are Siamese cats and their names are Coco and Yum Yum. And Coco helps him solve murder mysteries up in northern Michigan. (laughs) I love them and I am having a blast rereading them now. So that is actually, of all the books I've been reading lately, the ones I'd recommend if you feel like, you know, actually, and Kat asked this question, how aligned is that? So a woman named Kat, C-A-T, is the one that asked the question and I'm going to say Kat books. Those are my books that I'm loving lately. Just for the fun of it, it feels so good. Okay, now we have... Lara Yoga Wellness, you said, a bit of random one, but do humans have past lives as animals, nature, objects, or do we always come to this world as humans? Ooh, interesting question, Lara. Okay, so I don't know about like becoming a sold animal. From what I've heard from non-physical teachers, like they say that the you could go into a object like a, a bird or an animal and you could perceive through them as such, but not necessarily it would like live the whole lifetime as the animal. But then again, there's like Ramana Maharshi, if I'm not mistaken, felt like there was an enlightened cow um, that was on his, you know, in his ashram or his community. So I think maybe it depends on the perspective that you're asking, but I've never heard any non-physical speak about sold, you know, like, so like the, the energy of a human going into the animal to live the entire lifetime of an animal. However, there's a big caveat to that because what about 3D experiences before humans, atomically modern humans, AMHs, as we are actually living as, 
before this model, so before this version of the iPhone, as we know ourselves as a human being, what about the times, you know, in between and like beforehand? So I would wonder from a non-physical perspective, if we've had lifetimes before humans were the, the trendy item to come into that we could have had other lifetimes. And I've also heard non-physicals say that, you know, what is it? Dolphins and whales were some of those animals that souls came into before AMH, atomically modern humans, and could still potentially be sold. So that's just, you know, I have no way of verifying that for you whatsoever. But in case it's curious for you, there you go. And now let's see, let's go to more questions. Next up, we have, hi, Jess, from Magali CWB. Little thought for you, visiting Lisbon and testing out the Komoba Coffee Shop. Love it. I love Komoba Coffee Shop as well. So happy you're enjoying it. It's a really, really great place to go if you haven't been already. And by the way, I am working on something. It's been coming into fruition over the last year, and it's down on its final last steps before we give it out to you guys or share it with you. But I am working on something and have been for quite a while about Lisbon and my favorite places there. So stay tuned. I'll give you guys more details and a little coupon code if you want to use it once it's available if you go to Lisbon and want to see all of my favorite things there. Okay, now we have Jamie who says, not a question, but an idea. I would love it if you could record short vlogs of some of the beautiful and aligning places that you visit. I would love to watch a YouTube or in the Lively app. Traveling isn't aligning for me right now, but it's a way for your audience to experience places through your adventures. Just an idea if it flows. Loving unlimited aligned abundance course. That's amazing. So A, I'm super happy that you're enjoying the course. Great news. I'm happy. We are just getting started. We've got three more weeks. I hope you love this week and then I'll be back with you coaching next week. But yeah, that's a really cool idea. We actually, Ella and I, the manager for our team, she's been trying to get me into the reels on Instagram. I have not yet gotten to TikTok, but obviously Instagram's trying to basically, it seems like become TikTok with the way that they're doing things, which as a creator on Instagram and just being who I am. I really miss Instagram being Instagram and not trying to go this other direction, but that is what it is. <laughs> you know, I'm sure some of you guys love the changes and love TikTok and some people love it as Instagram used to be. So I guess everyone's, you know, in a different place with it. But we had talked about doing kind of like little reels with some video footage of the places that I'm walking around and seeing and could share with those with you. So that might also be a way of us, maybe not in a vlog, like a video vlog on YouTube, but, and which I did do, if you guys remember in 2016, you could go on YouTube and see me in Lisbon and Porto. And I think I did one in London. I did one I don't know if I ever did one in Australia, which is funny, or Bali. But uh, yeah, I did do some vlogging. I ended up stopping the personal vlogging after uh, several months of traveling full-time because I realized that, that it was making my whole life work, which didn't feel the best. But it's something that I could do on the real format or some other way. So, and also I do like to share little, like pretty moments of the day that I really appreciate, little Bella moments. So Instagram stories is usually where I've always historically done that because it's so easy and simple to take a picture of a pretty rose latte I'm appreciating. My, my Instagram's kind of, in some ways, like a bit of a rampage of appreciation. If there's a pretty moment, I love to share it typically. That's what I use that for in a lot of cases. Obviously we share living room content too. So there's free classes that we put out that we let you guys know about through that as well. But uh, that's usually the place I like to share little pretty moments. But yeah, I like the idea of maybe doing some kind of easy digestible content for you guys 
about where I'm at. That sounds great. And last but not least, we have a question from Bryn McConnell who said, question for the podcast, favorite neighborhood in Lisbon? Thoughts on Porto? Favorite neighborhood in London? And have I been to Scotland? Okay, so lots of questions. Okay, so favorite neighborhood in Lisbon? Simple. Praça das Flores. Praça das Flores, which is south of Prince Priel and kind of north of Sao Bento, is just my favorite place. It's where I lived for two years. We're now in Lapa, but uh, that's a different area near Estrella, which is also all of those. Lapa, Estrella, Prince Priel, Sao Bento, and Praça das Flores are all wonderful places, but the magical belly button of them all is Praça das Flores. I loved it so much. So much loved living there. Maybe I'll be back there again in the future. Who knows? But for now, we're in Lapa at the moment. And then thoughts on Porto. Porto is really cool. I really enjoy Porto. And I would say Porto has some, in some ways, like grander facades. But the color scheme is actually a lot like Scotland. So funny you mentioned Scotland. I always think that they have this kind of like weatheredness about the architecture that's very old and worn and kind of grayer. The tones are very like blues, greens, and grays. A lot like what I see in like Edinburgh. Different architecture than Edinburgh overall, but there's like this weird, not weird, but like this weathering about the city based on a lot of the weather patterns that kind of has a Scottish kind of vibe to me compared to Lisbon. Lisbon feels much more Mediterranean and tropical um, because of the climate and the colors that the the buildings are painted there. So that's a dif- definite thing. Porto to me is much, much smaller. Lisbon feels like a village as you're living there. But if Lisbon's a village, then Porto is like smaller than a village. So like Porto is very, very small. The people are a little bit more relaxed. They always comment on that when you're in Porto, that they're more relaxed and more friendly, you could say, than Lisbon. That's like saying that Michigan is more friendly than New York. So for American context, you could say like the Lisbon's the busiest, biggest city. So obviously people in a bigger, busy place can sometimes seem more cold or brusque, where the smaller, slower places can be more friendly because they're not moving so quickly and they're more personal in a way. But that said, there's really amazing people in New York and there's really nice people in Lisbon. So I wouldn't take that too extreme. Like the the variance between Porto and Lisbon is there. Also, Porto is a little bit more formal and has better high-end food. So if you're a foodie and you're going for wine and food pairings and coursed meals, plated meals, the food that's better is in Porto. It's also more traditional. So you're, and you're going to get more of an expat influence definitely in Lisbon more than Porto. So those are all things, but the wine region outside of Porto is gorgeous too. Favorite neighborhood in London. That's really interesting because I just have been in the last few weeks here in London and I've been staying in Kensington, mostly in friends, flats of friends that are currently away on holidays. So that's been a huge gift because I've been loving all of my walks in Hyde Park. One of the things I don't love about Portugal or specifically Lisbon is the hills and all of the very slippery tiles. So I love walking in Hawaii. I would walk, especially during pandemic, like 20 to 30,000 steps on average a day. And I'm doing the same here now that I'm back in London because I'm near Hyde Park. So in the mornings, noons, nights, I just walk everywhere. I very rarely take the tube or the Ubers. Um, That said, I'm not always going over to Shoreditch or anything super far away, but if I walk from Kensington to Marleybone or to, you know, 
that kind of general area on the other side of the park, it's a really easy, beautiful walk because I got to walk through a beautiful park and the weather has been stunning and not rainy at all. I've had amazing weather in Lisbon, sorry, in London. Uh, so yeah, it's been great. My favorite neighborhood definitely is, I would say Kensington because it's close to the park and it's not too sceny. I found that spending time in Westbourne Grove and Notting Hill as I have, because I have friends that are up there, was a little bit, it's very beautiful and I love the design and the shops and everything, but I felt like the community was not the most welcoming. And then when I was in London Fields, I felt kind of the opposite energy, but also like very cool, very beautiful. Love the food. The food's incredible over there. Um, the market was amazing. The She's Lost Control store, I got an ore reading and bought a crystal. And it was very, and those people were really nice actually that own that store. Super friendly and managing it were lovely people. But overall, I find that those neighborhoods like Shoreditch or, or Notting Hill, they're a little bit more reserved or like kind of, eyeing you up where I feel like in Kensington it's a very posh beautiful place but it's got a lot more transience to it in the sense that you see a lot of tourists and stuff so you don't I don't even know if I'm like running into a strong local population to even get a strong feel for any certain kind of vibe like I could feel in London Fields or I could feel in Notting Hill so or in Westbourne Grove specifically so I would say Kensington's my favorite because I'm you know kind of an outsider feeling comfortable with tourists that are also outsiders. So if I was to live, live in London, I actually think I would love to spend more time exploring Hampstead Heath. I think that that, besides somewhere near Hyde Park, would be an area I would love. Also, Chelsea, I think is great. And I know Chelsea gets kind of like a very posh and a wrap, but like I actually found like the coffee shop Hagen where I go to, super friendly people go. It's very local vibe and yeah it is posh but it like it's really 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 kind so I don't know that was like actually my friendliest local kind of place so it's and it's in Chelsea of all places so yeah those are my personal experiences just from being here over the last month this year and then also two to four months of the five years I was traveling but I have not spent time in Shepherd's Bush or there's just so many millions of places that you can go to in London. But I'm always typically where my friends are or staying in friends' houses or going to what I'm familiar with. So that tends to be this general Kensington, Notting Hill, Chelsea area because it's so walkable, so close to everything and close to my friends overall. But Hampstead Heath, it definitely think would be a high contender if I was to live in London. As far as Scotland, I love Scotland. I'm a quarter Irish by you know, heritage. My grandmother was a Hogan, but I find way more connection overall when I visit to Scotland. I went to Edinburgh five years in a row. <laughs> I just always went to Scotland. And my friend Eileen is half Scottish, so I may actually go, depending how long I stay in London, I might go with her and see her family by the seaside, which I've never been to in Scotland. But I think Scotland is a magical, magical place. Totally love it, and I'm very happy to go there and maybe even do so again. And Edinburgh is just so cool. I had a, I think I was here for my birthday one year. And then also there was maybe that year or a different year, I was around the Halloween season and I did a ghost tour. And that was like such a cool place to do a ghost tour is Edinburgh. It's uh, misty and rainy and it's old and there's lots of interesting intrigue in its history. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this. It was so fun to be able to connect with you guys, share it. I think my microphone lasted the entire time, so that's good news as well. Until next time, may something wonderful happen to you today. <laughs>